Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. This morning, Mike and I are going to do a bit of a double act. Now, we're both going to share. And we have to be accurate with our timings this morning because everybody has to be quiet at 11 o'clock, including the preachers. So um, you can at least know that this is going to be less than 38 minutes. You're welcome. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard, and I'm a pastor here in the church. And I'm part of a wonderful team of uh, elders, leaders in the church, and part of a wonderful church, because this is a fantastic church. Because every expression of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is fantastic, but also we're extra fantastic. I'm just going to say. Um, about a month ago, Sarah and I took the opportunity when our kids went off to the youth weekend away. Shall I mention you at this point, Michael? The youth weekend away uh, to take a couple of nights to go to Cheltenham. I know, we're doing all right. And um, we've never been there before, so we went to Cheltenham. We had a Friday and a Saturday night there, and it was really nice. And on the Saturday morning, I, I wanted to go for a run, and I knew where I wanted to run to. I had my destination, but I didn't quite know how to get there. So um, obviously now I got my A to Z out. No, I didn't. I got my Google Maps, and I typed my destination into Google Maps, and off I set. And I thought I was heading out for about a five, six-mile road run. Okay, ease yourself into the weekend. And off I went. And, and I set off, and about a mile in, everything was going to plan. I got to a roundabout, and I knew that the way to Cheltenham, because I thought I was going to run through the town, was to turn right. But Google Maps said no. <laughs> Google Maps said, Rich, turn left. So I turned left. And I took a little left turn, and then, and then it was like, in 50 yards, take the next right. So I took the next right, and it led me into a cul-de-sac. And I thought, I'm not quite sure this is right, but I'm going to stick with it. And I ran into the cul-de-sac. And sure enough, at the end of the cul-de-sac, there was a little opening, a pathway through, that led me to this track that was suitable only for bikes, maybe horses, and humans. Okay? So I ran along this track, and I followed it. And I thought, it's going to pop out onto the road. But it didn't. It took me into a field. But it was OK, because the field had yellow posts. So I ran through a field, and then it led me into a meadow. I don't know what the difference is between a field and a meadow, but if I say field twice, it's boring. <laughs> and I ran through this field and down the hills, and it's beautiful countryside that I just wouldn't have caught if I was um, running along the road. And then it took me through a copse. <laughs> Everybody's straight on. With an E on the end. And it took me through a copse. And, uh, and it was very nice. And then I came out into a bit of waste ground, and there was sort of hills and bumps, and people were out walking their dogs. And I ran through there, and it took me down through a wood, because it was slightly bigger than the cops. And it sort of led me through the wood. And then I popped out the other end and onto the road, and the last mile was along the roadside. And as I was running towards the end of my run, the Holy Spirit said, I felt the Holy Spirit say, Do you enjoy that run? And I was like, Yeah, I did actually enjoy that run. Was it what you expect? No, it wasn't what I was expecting. Did you um, obey Google Maps? I said, absolutely, I obeyed Google Maps. And then the Holy Spirit said, do you obey me in the same way? Because there were certain times along that run you thought you should go in a certain direction, but you didn't because you listened to Google Maps. And Google Maps took me on a route that got me to where I needed to be, but I really felt a challenge of the Holy Spirit saying, are you as obedient to me as you are to Google Maps? Will you listen to me in the same way? Will at times you make a decision that seems different to what you think you should do, but will you still follow me all the same? And I was really challenged by that. And I find that God speaks to me a lot when I'm, when I'm running. 
And, and I just really felt this whole thing of obedience. Are we willing to obey? Because obedience really matters. Now, if you ask people about obedience, I don't think obedience necessarily has massively positive connotations, does it? If you wanted to list your qualities, I don't know if you would put at the top, obedient. <laughs> it's not necessarily what people think. It's not glamorous. It's about finding yourself, searching for the hero inside yourself, living your best life, doing what you want to do. Johnny here, or Michel, where is he? There he is. Bonjour, Michel. Ça va? Yeah, très bien. That's all I got. <laughs> and, and actually, obedience is something that matters a lot to God. You know, we've been following this, this series of for such a time as, as this. This is a time of significance. This is a time of importance. This is a time when our lives really matter. And really count, especially as believers. I, I wholeheartedly am convinced of that. And it ties into a story in the book of Esther that we've been dipping into. And if you just open up Esther 4 for a second, I should have asked you to do this at the beginning because it's a small book in the middle of the Bible. It could be a bit tricky to find. But if you get to Job or Psalms and just go back a bit, you'll find it. The book of Esther. And a little bit of context again. And we've, we've said this a few times, but... The Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians are the ruling empire, and their capital city is a place called Susa in Persia. And the king of Persia is a man called Xerxes, and in many respects, he's the king of kings. He's the ultimate authority. This is the superpower of the time. And he has selected for himself a wife of great beauty and stature, and her name is Esther. And what he doesn't know about Esther yet is that Esther is Jewish. She's part of the Jewish race. Now, in the background, what we start to learn as we read the story is that the Jewish race, the entire Jewish race throughout the Persian Empire are under threat because a plot has been unleashed to wipe out the Jews. Xerxes doesn't know and doesn't understand the, 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 the weight of this, but he's permitted it anyway. And he also doesn't know that his beloved wife is Jewish and therefore she will be involved and, and, and caught up in it all. And Esther, Queen Esther's cousin or uncle Mordecai, finds out about this plot and this plan. And he sends a message to Esther. So if you have a look at Esther 4, verse 8. Prior to that, we see that Mordecai is, uh, is aware and he tells the story of what's happening. And in Esther 4, verse 8, it says, Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. And he asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. And he asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for the people. So here's Hathach. He's coming with a message to say, from Mordecai, saying, Esther, you're the only person who has the king's ear. You're the only one who can influence the king and save the nation, save the race. But here's the thing, when he sends the message through this messenger, Hathach, the word direct is actually the word command. He's not saying, it's not a request, and it's not a suggestion, it's a command to go to the king. And the amazing thing is that Esther knowingly obeys this command that actually could have led to her death, because if she'd have gone to the king uninvited and announced he could easily have had her killed, but instead, she obeys the command of her godly uncle, even though she is the queen of Persia, and goes, makes the appeal, and sure enough, God moves, and the people are saved. Yes. 
But I was really impacted by her obedience for such a time as this. Her obedience in that moment, in a time of trial, difficulty, threat, that was to her own detriment, she was still willing to obey. And God wants us to be a people who are obedient for such a time as this. Because obedience will lead to salvation. But obedience will put us in positions of times of discomfort. Times where we're going against what we really want to do. That obedience can be really hard. But God wants us to be obedient for for such a time as this. And of course when we talk about obedience, uh, sometimes you think about a dog and their owner. Or maybe a soldier with a superior officer's command obeying it, or obeying the law, or a child obeying their parents. And oftentimes it's linked to subordination. It's not very positive. It can mean to like being imposed upon, or being enslaved, or being put down and pushed down and bullied. But that's not the kind of obedience the Bible is talking about. We need to view and understand God's perspective on obedience. Obedience always has to link to authority. That you're obeying an authority that you are under. A government or a power that you are under and you recognize the authority of that. But even then, there's a desire sometimes to rebel. You know, at times, obedience is done by coercion, by force, by bullying. We've been at a conference this weekend where people from all over the world have talked about what God is doing in different nations across the world. In India, in Bhutan, in Belarus, in Brazil, in all different parts of, of the world. And in so many places, Christianity is be, uh, Christians are being persecuted. The freedom to believe and be a Christian and profess that is, is people who do that are persecuted and oppressed. Sometimes they're imprisoned. Their rights and freedom are taken away from them as a result of that. In fact, Chandrakhan said from India said, in some regions of India, if you're baptized or involved in baptizing somebody, it's four years in prison. And yet people are being baptized in obedience to God. It's amazing. You know, we're going to see some baptisms this morning. It is an act of obedience. In fact, it's our first act of obedience to what Jesus asks us to do once we've made him Lord. And of course, it's not just who we obey, but why we obey. Is it out of fear? Is it out of faith? And how are we being obedient? Is it fully or is it partially? Is it when I recognize why I should be obedient, but if it doesn't work for me or I don't like it, I won't be? Is it only when people are looking, when I'm in public? Is it that moment when you drive up to some traffic lights at midnight and it's red and you look around and you think, I can go anyway because no one's looking? You know, God wants us to be consistent in our obedience. To him. And the wonderful thing about obedience in the Bible is that actually, ultimately, it refers to submitting ourselves to one who is greater than us willingly and doing it out of a place of trust, out of a place of faith, out of a place of love, out of a place of recognition that we are not number one, we don't know everything, and out of a loving relationship. And that's the beauty of Christian obedience. You know, religion says that I obey, I do enough good stuff, and then maybe God will love me and accept me. That's what religion says. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom says, you are loved and you are accepted, therefore you will willingly obey. You see the difference? 
I'll obey, I'll do good, and maybe I'll get into God's good books and you'll love me and accept me. No, God says, I love you. I accept you. I know what's best for you. I, I totally love you. And if you love me and follow me, I'll lead you into everything that you need. And you'll obey willingly. That's the sort of obedience that the Bible talks about. You know, God is not a control freak. God doesn't get kicks in telling us what to do because he's power hungry. Actually, God knows what's best for us. Any parents in the room? Do you impose any rules at home on your children when you're out and about? Does anybody just raise your hands? You tyrants! <laughs> Mike's taking all of your names down and reporting you to social services. <laughs> Mike's not, Lauren's doing it. Um, of course we do. Because when you have a toddler and you say to the toddler, don't play with the knife block, it's not because you're power hungry or you're a control freak, it's because you know they'll do damage to themselves and others with what's in that knife block. Now, you, of course, you don't put the knife block down on the floor, you know, next to the baby gym. But we impose rules because we know what's best. And when God puts rules in, that when he tells us to do certain things and not to do certain things, it's not because he's power hungry, it's because he knows what's best. And for us to know that and to trust him and obey him, even when sometimes that will make us very different to those around us, even if that means other people will wonder what on earth we're doing, how old-fashioned that is. Really? You didn't sleep together before you were married? No, we didn't. What? What's wrong with you? Well, this is what the Bible says. What do you mean you didn't, you, you didn't move in together until you were married? What, are you born in the 18th century or something? No, this is what the Word says. And God blessed us because of that. There are certain things that we do, there are certain things that we don't do that are clear acts of obedience. Why? Because I know, God, you love me. I know you're for me. And here's the thing, I don't know it all. In fact, I know very, very little, but I know you know everything. Why would I not obey? He's our shepherd. God, time and again in the Old Testament, describes himself as a shepherd to his people. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the eternal one, the ancient of days, is a shepherd. Jesus comes and reveals exactly what God his Father is like and says, I'm the good shepherd in John 10. Why would we not obey? Why would we not trust him? The word of God is there for us to help us. The spirit of God comes to live in us, to help us. And here's the wonderful thing about the Christian faith, that Jesus is Lord. I'm just going to put it out there. Jesus is Lord. Okay, so... That's kind of, that's a given. He's king of kings, he's lord of lords. He's, he's, he's lord, he's in charge. Everything is about him. Everything is going to be wound up by him. Everything is for him. Everything is sustained by him. Even whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, it's true. Okay, I'm going to put it out there. Jesus is lord. And that as a person, as an individual who's lived my own way for such a long time, I say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming to live under your rule. I'm going to live like you. And of course, that's a wonderful thing to start to follow Jesus. But if it was just based on my ability to follow him, I'd lose him. Here's what also happens. As I choose to follow him, his spirit comes to live in me. So now there's not only an external pursuit, but there's an internal desire to want to obey him. So I have a conviction now on the inside of me that I want to live in a way that pleases him. That's the wonderful thing about the truth of the gospel. 
It's not just that I follow him, but actually he comes to live inside me by his spirit so that I want to follow him. He changes our desires. He changes our hearts. He makes us more and more like him. He helps us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to do what? What you want? No. Freedom to live in a way that pleases God, that is the absolute best for me and is the absolute best for you. We've been forgiven much, therefore we love much. When we recognize he's forgiven us, we love him. And then when we love him, Jesus says, you'll obey me. Out of our love for him, we'll obey him. You know, there are, I think a lot of us as Christians want to obey God. But there are times when we have to have that struggle. And I think there are three things I just want to quickly touch on. One is the fear of what other people think. That we know it's right, but in living that way, we're going to be different. And in being different, people are going to think we're weird. People are going to think we're wrong. People are going to think we're thick or stupid or whatever it might be, whatever it is. And, you know, when we see the story of King Saul, his issue was the fear of people dominated him. And then God brought David as his king, a man after his own heart. And I know in my own life, when I've gone along with everybody else to fit in and disobeyed God, it's never gone well for me. When I've put my hand up and been different, I remember once being pinned up against the wall in school by Christopher Bunce, who was, this, he was our second row, okay? He had a mustache before the age of 12. He was just an absolute unit. And he's like, swear or I'll kill you. And I'm like, I'm not going to swear. Swear or I'll kill you. And I'm not going to swear. He was like, all right then. You're all right, you are, you? You're all right. <laughs> he was my wingman then. Every time we played rugby, he took everybody else out for me. It was amazing. <laughs> and sometimes it's our own self-will and selfishness. I want to please myself rather than you. But I think a big one is self-doubt. I think a big one is self-doubt. Anybody here ever doubted yourself to do what God's asked you to do? Do you know what? That's the point. <laughs> I remember once we were away on a, in Sierra Leone on a missions trip, and there was a guy on the group uh, that I'd met. I didn't know him at all, but over the next few days, I found out he had really bad low back pain. And I was a physiotherapist, so I gave him some advice and talked about it. And then I really felt the Holy Spirit say, it's great you've given him advice, but I want you to pray for him. And I was like, I had a bad back. So I was struggling with my back. And the Holy Spirit says, if you have a bad back and you're willing to give him advice about bad backs, why would you withhold prayer from him as well? If you know enough to give him advice, you'll also be able to pray for him regardless. And so I prayed for him and I got some other people to pray for him. And we laid hands on him and his back pain went instantly. Instantly went. My back pain didn't, but his did. But it was the self-doubt. I, 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 when I'm all right, when I'm okay, when I, when I have enough faith, God says, no, just obey. Don't doubt in yourself. Just give what you've got and he'll bless it. You know, obedience produces so many things. And there's just one thing I want to mention is that sometimes we want to understand before we obey. If I can work out why this works, X, Y, and Z, then I'll do it. Actually, what the Bible tells us is oftentimes obedience leads to understanding. Rather than I have to understand and then I'll obey, God says, no, you obey and your brain will catch up. Yeah. You'll understand. It says this in Psalm 110, 111, verse 10, a good understanding have all those who do his commands. Yeah. A good understanding have all those who do his commands. You know, the book of Romans begins and closes with this incredible statement that Paul has. If you just quickly turn to Romans 1, and I'm going to hand over to Mike. 
Romans 1, verse 5. Paul was determined to preach the gospel to the, to the Gentiles, basically every person that was non-Jewish. Peter was to the Jews, Paul was to the Gentiles. And he says, through Christ, Romans 1, verse 5, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. The other version says that they will have obedience that comes from faith. That's how he starts his letter. And then if you turn to Romans 16, verse 27, the penultimate verse in, in the whole letter, he's again talking about the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to them. And he says, this message is known, made known to all the Gentiles everywhere, this is towards the end of verse 26, so that they might believe and obey him or be led to obedience by faith. Just want to say this this morning, faith will lead to obedience. Yes. Amen. Choosing to trust him will lead to obedience. Putting him, saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to trust you, will lead to obedience. Okay, I'm going to hand over to Mike. Hello. Um, morning. So, I'm just going to pick up on a couple of um, examples from the book of Acts, just around obedience, and um, share some of those things with you. And particularly, I want to start by touching on the fact that obedience to the Scripture will help us to learn to obey the Spirit. And they're not disconnected because the Spirit inspired the Scripture. <laughs> um, the Spirit of God. This is like... This is the first thing when we become a Christian that we realize he said to us because he gives us this incredible word that we can then learn and we can understand what God has asked us to do. See, one of the things in the Great Commission, which to be honest, I overlook sometimes and I forget, is that, you know, it's going to all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But actually, it then follows on to say, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Part of our responsibility as believers is to teach the world how to obey Christ and for us to learn how to obey him. Obedience, when it comes to Christ, is such a beautiful thing. And this week, um, I was talking to Lauren and she was telling me something about what their life group was doing. And I just wanted her to come and just share this because I thought it was a brilliant picture of just everyday obedience to the word of God. Good morning. Yeah, so um, this week, our lovely life group leader, Rosanna, set us a challenge. <laughs> uh, we were reading um, a devotional together, and um, it was in Philippians 2, verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And the challenge was to do all things all day without complaining or grumbling. And instead, to be positive and to have five things that we were thankful for throughout the day. And I woke up that morning with terrible toothache. I thought, okay, this is something I would normally grumble about, but instead I'm going to be thankful that I got an emergency dentist appointment and I was thankful that I was able to be seen that day and towards the end of the day I was thankful that it was nothing serious. So instead of grumbling, I was thankful. And then the other part of the day, I had a big pile of laundry to do, loads of housework to do, as I'm sure we all have days like that. 
And instead of grumbling, which would have been easy to grumble about, I was thankful and I was thinking about our family in Kenya who don't have the things that we have that make our jobs list easier. And I was thankful for my washing machine. I was thankful for my tumble dryer, even thankful for my shower. Um, so instead of grumbling about the housework, I was thankful for what God had given me. And at the end of the day, we met as a life group and we all spoke about our day and how we got on with the challenge. And we all said that our days were better and that there was a real atmosphere in our home of positivity. And it was, um, we just had a better atmosphere in our homes. And um, I just want to say there's a, there's a huge difference between complaining and sharing our problems. <laughs> you know, it's good, to, it's good to offload to one another. It's good to share our problems with the people that we love and trust. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the grumbling, the moaning, the complaining. Um, and um, I just want to say that, that God didn't say, oh, this will be fun. Let's give them a challenge that will be hard for them to do. No, that's not what he's about, like what Rich was saying. But he, 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 said, he, he asks us to do things only for our good. And he knew that this would do us good and it would do our families good and our children good if we followed that scripture and obeyed him. Thank you. That was great, wasn't it? What I love about that was it wasn't a challenge in the sense that like, the day after, Lauren had like piled up all the things that she hadn't complained about the day before and then just unleashed. No, actually, um, that's something that as we read the scripture, as we see those things, we might challenge ourselves and say, let's do this for a day. Let's do something different. But actually, as we continue to walk in that, that everyday obedience, it starts to change us. It starts to change, like Lauren described, the atmosphere. It starts to change how our children will look at us. It starts to change how people in our workplaces will look at us if we obey the Spirit and we live as God has commanded us to live. And I think there's a, a, a fantastic story about this in Acts 16. And uh, this is about Paul, and, and I think this is a, a great picture of how obeying the word leads to us hearing the still small voice of the Spirit in kind of the, the individual steps. And so in Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So he passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave before, um, to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had, preached, had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so when you read this story, you realize, okay, Paul is going about doing exactly what Jesus had asked him to do. Go into all the world, baptize, uh, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so he's going around to all these different places, but the Spirit, when he's getting there, he's going, no, not there. No, not there. Nope, not there. And then he has a dream about a man calling him to Macedonia and then ends up going to Macedonia and meeting a woman. And um, it's this amazing picture, actually, I, I think, of as we look in the Scripture and we go, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to allow myself to grumble today. These challenges are coming, and, and, uh, but I'm not going to grumble about them. And you, you go into work and you sit next to somebody and they're complaining and they're grumbling and they're such and such, and you, you think, oh, I could join in with them. And the Spirit says, no, you know what you read this morning, don't do it. 
And then all of a sudden that person turns to you and says, you're so positive, you know. I really noticed that about you. You're always really positive. You always, you always make me feel better when I talk to you. Why is that? And all of a sudden you're sharing your faith with them. And this joining of, this, of the word and the spirit of hearing his big loud voice that he shouted to us and said, hey, write this down and keep this and show this to everyone. That's how that works with that still small voice of the spirit of the little things that he asks us to do every day that change then the way that the landscape of our life can look. And so I just want to encourage you today, please be really, really eager to learn what the scripture says. Be really eager, no matter how long you've been a Christian, to study the Scripture, to understand again, okay, Lord, how do you want me to live? When is the last time that I looked in the Scripture and saw something that was going to impact how I lived my life? Because I'm challenged by that. Because after years and years and years of reading the Scripture, after years and years and years of studying the Scripture, it can can be so easy to become familiar, to think I've kind of nailed it. But then, if, as soon as you've got that attitude, we're missing everything that God has to say to us. And so, I just want to be somebody that obeys the word in everything. And I know that as I do that, he's then going to lead me by that still, small voice that tells me, hey, and now here's how you apply it. Here's the little thing. Here's the key. Here's the way we're going to use this today. The... Um, be it like uh, Rich said, you know, being obedient isn't always the most popular thing. I, the subtitle for this is "You're such a sheep." <laughs> did you ever get that as an insult at school? If you like, if you did anything that the teachers wanted you to do, oh, you're such a sheep, such a sheep, whatever. That was always something that, as a uh, uh, in our in our age group anyway, that was like uh, in primary school it was a brutal insult. You know, oh, I'm such a sheep. I'm not a sheep. But here's the thing, right? Sheep are protected. Sheep are look af- looked after. If you have a good shepherd, you are going to be safe. Oh, I'm not a sheep, I'm a rabbit. You know, hop around wherever I like, go wherever I want. I'm a deer. I prance around, you know, jumping, hopping, skirt that wall, no problem. Sheep, bah, follow you. Follow you, shepherd, bah. But the thing is, is the sheep survive the wolf attack. <laughs> when, when the wolves come, the shepherd protects them. The rabbits... They get gone. <laughs> the deer, they get hunted. They get captured. And I just want to encourage you today, being a sheep, being obedient, there's a great protection that comes from our Lord and Savior. From our good shepherd, there is a great protection that comes. And actually, you can travel a great distance as a sheep. <laughs> you will always find food along the way. You will always find where you're supposed to go if you have a good shepherd. There's nothing bad about being a sheep. And uh, the second thing I just want to talk about was that obedience every day leads to a successful life. It leads to a life worth living. And in um, 2 Corinthians 11, 16 to 33, you get a list of everything that Paul endured. And it's like shipwrecks, and it's uh, uh, floggings, and it's stonings, and it's all these things that Paul endured. And then in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 16, you hear that his determination to press on into all that God had for him, to leave behind everything that he, he counted as gain and pressing on towards the next step, the next thing that God had for him, no matter what. And that led him, in his obedience, in his forgetting what laid behind and pressing on, in Acts 26, 19, he can say this to Agrippa,
26 verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. You know, as you, as you read that, you ought to understand Paul is much closer towards the end of his life than we might realize. As we look then into Timothy 4, 7 to 8, we see another glimpse of the, the way that Paul views the life that he's lived. Two Timothy four verse seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have longed for His appearing. You know, everyday obedience, which you read through, and you read of so many other people in the Book of Acts, whether it's Stephen sharing with the. Um, the religious people and being obedient to the point of death, whether it's Peter standing up and, and uh, using the keys that he's been given to the kingdom to welcome people in, whether it's Peter um, seeing the, the animals being lowered down in a vision and all of a sudden realizing that God had called the, the Gentiles into the kingdom and being obedient to go with those men who came to get him to go to Cornelius's house. You, you know, the book of Acts is just obedience after obedience after obedience to the Spirit. And all of these people lived lives worth living. I don't think that they got to the end of their lives, and I'm sure they had individual regrets, but they would, they would come before Jesus, as, as, as Paul does here, saying, I've fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. And don't we all want that? Don't we all want that? To get to the end of our lives and say, God, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I might have made mistakes along the way, but God, I've done everything I can to follow you to this point. And I know that I'm going to follow you now into eternity. Isn't that our desire? That's my desire. And, that, and we get there by obedience. And I'll just finish with this. Um, I would just really encourage you to plan. Don't just let life happen to you. And... We want to be spontaneous. Just as a show of hands, who would be the people that this weekend said, I had nothing planned. I had so much fun because we just decided last minute. We were so free. We did whatever we wanted, and it was magnificent. Right? Who would be on that side of the spectrum looking for a weekend where nothing's free and you can do whatever you want versus the people who said, of course we had fun this weekend. It was planned in from 10 till 3. Look at my calendar. Of course we had fun. So the people who would love to be just free, do whatever you want, spontaneous, show of hands, if you're on that side of the spectrum, the people who would be a bit more like 10 till 3, fun, hands up. People somewhere in the middle, people not listening. Okay, there we go. Thanks. But look, it doesn't matter whether you are more on the, the side of being spontaneous, doing whatever, you know, or you're on the side of being a planner. The Holy Spirit wants us to obey Him. He wants us to obey him in our plans, and he wants us to obey him being spontaneous. And we do those things by the Spirit. And for the planners, you might have to be like, oh, but Lord, it was in the calendar. It's marked as busy. And the Lord says, no, we're going to do that. And the, and the spontaneous people might say, but I don't want to plan. I don't ever want to write anything. I'll put it in pencil. How about pencil? No. We're going to do this, and you're going to plan for this, and you'll be ready for it. Because we do all things by the power of the Spirit. Let's be those who are obedient. And, and for those who are more spontaneous, for those who love to just be led step by step, enjoy that. But think about this. Where do you want to be in your walk with God in a year? 
Where do you want to be in your walk with God in five years? I just felt this morning as I was preparing, this was just something that I felt was really important. For those of you who are, who are more spontaneous, for those of you who just love allowing life to just happen, walking with the Spirit, that's wonderful. He wants to lead you, but where do you want to be in a year? Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want God to take you so that you can be being obedient to that heavenly vision day after day after day after day so when you get there, you're totally ready. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.